that today is one of the four strongest weapons that we have. Uh, that's the four sermons that I've preached this month. Uh, we've talked a couple weeks about the weapon of prayer, and that is a powerful weapon. We've talked about the last week the weapon of praise, and that's a powerful weapon. Today we're going to talk about the weapon of worship. Now, lest you be mistaken, praise and worship are not the same thing. And I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. Next week, we're going to talk about the weapon of obedience. I, I, I believe that some of these things we've done, we've prayed, we've praised, we've worshipped, we've been obedient, but we have not weaponized them. We, we do them in defense. We do them as a something we do as a habit or a tradition, but we have not made them offensive weapons. And when we make our prayer a weapon, the enemy can't stop it. When we make our praise a weapon, the enemy can't stop it. When we make our worship a weapon, when we make our obedience a weapon, God can do great and mighty things. I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning. Amen. If you're with us for the first time or first time in a long time, we get excited when we open the Bible. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And this is what it says. Reading from the New King James Version. Stand with me, if you will. It says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be, I may not be bold with, excuse me, but I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come to you right now. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your power, for your anointing, for your mercy, and for your grace. And Lord, I ask that you would put your power in my life. Let me speak with your boldness. Let me speak under the anointing of your power, Lord, with your knowledge and with your wisdom. Lord, I pray that every ear that hear this message be blessed, be touched, and be challenged to walk in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As I read this passage of Scripture, the part that, 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 that I'm really going to talk about today, it says, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. He talks here about casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. Now, 
Let me explain to you a little bit about worship before we get into this sermon. Worship is to subscribe worth to something. It probably would be better described by most of us as worth-ship. It is the worth of God in our life. It is the worth. It is his ability to carry us. It is his ability to hold us in his hand. We worship him. We praise him for his greatness. We worship him because of who he is. We praise him for what he's done to us. We praise him for how he delivers us. We praise him for his strength. We worship him whether he delivers us or not because he is God. He is worthy. He has worthship. And when we can begin to understand the worthship of God, when we begin to understand what God is truly worth in our life, some of you are getting it. When we begin to understand what God is truly worth in our life, my wallet's empty, so I'm going to use this. We may need to do another offering anyway. I have two pieces of paper. They're the same color. They're the same size. They have the same texture. But if I offered you to pick one of them, which one would you pick? Why? It's worth more. Our problem is, in our lives, we have decided that we'll take the dollar. There was a clip on America's Funniest Videos a couple weeks ago. And it was a little girl and her sister... And they both had been given bills. One of them had been given a five, and the older one had been given a, the older one had been given a five, and the younger one had been given a dollar. And the older daughter, the older girl, probably about five or six, was throwing a hissy fit. And she went to her little sister and she asked her if she would trade with her. Mom kept saying, but you've got a five, and she's got a one. I want that one. And the little three-year-old, not knowing anything, traded. And she gave the older one the dollar, and the younger one, probably about two or three, took the five. Mom looked at the older daughter and said, did you get what you wanted? She goes, yes. And she said, why did you want that one instead of the other one? Because I like George Washington. (laughs) To her, the worth of the bill was the picture. She didn't understand that the worth of the bill was the number. Can I tell you to some of you, the worth of the bill is the picture and not the power. When, when we let things begin to argue against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on, come on, 
some of you decided I'm preaching to the choir today because you're here. But sometimes we decide that the lake is worth more than the presence of God. We decide that our family is worth more than the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you, I like the lake. Personally, I would rather go to the really, 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 really big lake, the ocean. I love the beach. I love my cruises. I get a cruise later this year. Hallelujah. Can't wait. Not going to miss y'all at all either. I'm going. And, and I'll spend hours on a deck just watching the water roll as I go through the Western Caribbean later this summer. I, I, I love that. It's powerful. It's wonderful. I look forward to it. But I have to understand that that is never more powerful and more worthy than the presence of God. I, I, I love my family. I love my family, but my family is not important, more important than the power of God. Ooh. I already sat on this side. Let me sit on this side now. You know the biggest problem with the church in America? You know the biggest problem with Souls Harbor Church of God in Chillicothe? Somewhere down the road, we decided our worth was in the church and not in the presence. Oh, I love the church. I love the church, but that's not where the worth, the worth is in the presence of God. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about worship. When we begin to understand that worship is about worship, then we begin to understand it directs everything in our life. It is the core to the things we do. We worship him on our jobs. We worship him in school. We worship him with our families because we understand that his worth is greater than any other worth. We are bringing down, we're tearing down everything that lifts itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Everything that exalts itself. You want to know what you need to worry about? Those things that exalt themselves in your life. And you start saying, well, I know I need to pray, but I really need to do this. When you start having those decisions to make, they are exhaust, exalting themselves against the prayer power and the knowledge of Christ. How can we understand this power better? Then by looking in the Word. This morning, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to be talking a lot about a very familiar story found in John chapter 4. It's the story of the woman at the well. It's a story that I've preached from many times, that I've, that I've talked about many times. But I believe that God has showed me something this week. I've never noticed that this story is about worship. It's about worthship. It's about what is life really worth. When, when I look at this story, of course, we know that there's a passage in here where, where the woman says that, that I know that we believe that we should worship on this hill and, and the Jews believe that you should worship uh, 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 in, in Jerusalem. 
and, and you know, what do you say? And, and Jesus responds, he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where you will neither worship on this mountain, we're neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship uh, for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In the middle of this story, she asks about worship. It's because the whole story is about worship. It's about what's worthy and what's not worthy. This woman is at the well in Samaria. Jesus is there because he must needs go through Samaria, according to King James. That probably drives you crazy, don't it? That one wasn't me. King James did that one. He had to go through Samaria. Now, we don't understand that scripture, but let me give you a little background. Samaritans were hated. They were half-breeds. They were Jews that had married Gentiles. And they were not whole and they were not complete. And they were looked at as outcasts. And if you were going someplace, that the quickest route may be through Samaria. We'll say this is Samaria. And the quickest way for me to get from here to there is to go through Samaria. But most Jews would go... Don't you love it when I do stuff like this? <laughs> Most Jews would go the long way around. I was going to be nice to the camera and go on stage, but I figured it was further to go this way. They would go the long way around. Why? Because they didn't want to interact with anybody in Samaria. They were not worth their time. They were not worth their energy. Now, in Samaria, there's a woman. She's had five husbands, and she's, married, she's living with a man she's not married to. She's got a reputation. And it ain't a good one. It's one of those reputations. And she needed water from the well. But notice she comes at a time when nobody else is there. You know why? Because she wasn't worthy she wasn't worth even being around the other Samaritan women. When she walked up, they went, she's a piece of trash. She's not worth anything. She's garbage. And so here we find Jews that don't believe Samaria is worth anything. And we find a woman who the Samaritans don't even believe is worth anything. And she comes to the well. But Jesus says, we're going over there, and we must needs. I'm just going to say it just to bug Diane. We must needs. That's the only time I ever preached King James. We must needs go through Samaria. He didn't need to go through Samaria to save time. He didn't need to go through Samaria to make his trip shorter. He needed to go through Samaria because there was somebody worth his touch. There was somebody worth his presence. There was somebody needed to understand what worship was all about. So he walks into Samaria and he sits down 
by the well. The woman comes to draw water, and he says, draw me some water from the well. The woman looks at him. You're talking to me? Why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan woman? I'm not worthy. I'm not worth it. There's no reason for you to give me the time. She says, and how could you draw water anyway? You, you, you don't have anything. Why are you talking to me? And Jesus says, get this. Oh, this is great. Jesus says, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. If you knew. If you knew who you were talking to. If you knew who you were talking to, your questions would be different. If you knew who I was, if you knew what I was worth. My family and I, many, many, many years ago, went on a vacation to Chincoteague Island, Virginia. If you're ever looking for a great vacation spot, it's a wonderful place. And we were with some other family, and we went down. We were crabbing, and, man, it was, we were having a blast. And we're down there on the dock crabbing and, and we're, we're, we're not, we had a basket out, but we, we had a piece of chicken on a big old, just something that hold the chicken and the crabs would crawl up on that piece of chicken and hold it. And we'd pull them up one by one, no hooks, no nothing, grab them off that chicken, throw them in the basket and drop it down again. We were out there having a blast and this elderly gentleman walked up talking about his crabbing boat that he had. And we began to talk, and the boys and him began to, he began to tell the boys stories, and he was showing them tricks on how to crab better and all these things. And I quickly picked up on something, but I just sort of let it go, and we had a great conversation. And when we walked off, I looked at Anthony and Michael, and Anthony probably was only about 12 years old at the time, 12, maybe 13. Michael would have been about 10. I said, boys, you need to remember that man. He said, why? I said, because it's very quite, it's quite possible that that's the richest man you'll ever meet. What do you mean? I said, did you hear the little things he said about the three or four uh, crab boats he had? The, the different things, the businesses that he owned, the, the places he had been, hearing his stories as an adult, I began to realize that this man, though he smelt like fish and though he was dirty, I can guarantee you he had been a man of business and a man of importance, and he was a man that had means and money, and, and he didn't look like it, and, and the boys talked to him and didn't think about the fact that the man that they talked to was probably worth more money than anybody they had ever talked to before, but I I tell you, that's how the woman at the well was. She's there. He says, give me water. She says, why are you talking to me? And he says, oh, if you knew. If you only knew who I was. If you knew what I could do for you. If you knew how I could handle it. Have you ever watched the TV show Undercover Boss? I like that show. I always wish I'd have a good Undercover Boss come in and... You just hadn't told me? Just get to that part where you give me stuff. <laughs> Undercover balls say, come in. 
And, and usually at the end of the show, they pull them in, and it always amazes me. You, you got to know there's some setup somewhere because every time they work with somebody, there's somebody that has a, a special needs kid, or they've got this issue or that issue. And at the end of the show, they're given a new car, or they're given a new van, or they're given a college education, or they're given this, they're given that, they're given the other. And it's because if what they're saying, if you knew who I was... You would know that I can give you everything you need. Jesus was saying to this woman, if you knew, if you knew what I was worth, you wouldn't be asking me, how, how can I get you water? You'd be asking me to give you water. So how does this work? As I begin to look at this story, I begin to understand that we can see some things that worship does if we only knew who we were talking about. If you knew your worship would be eternal. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will spring up inside them a living water well that will, and they will never thirst again. It becomes eternal. If we knew who God really was, if we knew what he was really worth, our worship, our honor to him, our worship, our worship to him would be eternal. It wouldn't matter if we were on the top or on the bottom. It wouldn't matter if things were going good or not. If we really understood who Jesus was in our life, who Jesus was in history, who Jesus was in creation, our worship would be eternal. Our problem is we don't know who Jesus is. We think Jesus, I've said this before, forgive my redundance, but we think Jesus is Santa Claus. Gimme, 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 gimme. We think Jesus... Is somebody who might help us when we're down. But when we get real down, we always go, I don't see Jesus anywhere. But if we knew who he really was, if we knew what he had really done, If you knew, your worship would be eternal. Oh. If you knew, your worship would be in spirit and in truth. Pastor, what are you talking about? We wouldn't have fake worship. We all know how to fake worship. We're Pentecostal. We know how to fake worship. If you've been around Pentecostal church any time at all, you know good and well that if there's a key chain, something's about to happen. They just sang that, they just sang that course half a key higher, God's moving. Oh, Pastor, we're not like that. Yes, we are. 
if you've been around the church any time at length at all, you know the song in whatever church that when that song's played. Mm. I remember growing up, and I knew good and well that once somebody broke into I'm going to wear a crown. Oh, somebody was going to shout. And Lord help, we were running the aisles when they started saying, he's got back at the back door. He's got... He's God on the platform. He's God all over this floor. I go, he's God. <laughs> Come on, we know how to fake it. We know how to fake it. But if you knew, your worship wouldn't be God by a key change. Your worship wouldn't be God by a preacher that can get up and yell and scream and spit. And go, uh, 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 uh. that's not anointing, folks. That's short of breath. <laughs> if we knew our worship would be in spirit and in truth. You know what that means? That means it goes beyond our mind. It goes beyond our feeling. And it's our spirit worshiping. That means that when you're hurting, you can worship. That means when you're tired, you can worship. That means when you've went to St. Joe and Foreman Furman has worked the daylights out of you all day long. You can come to church and worship. I got to be honest, you don't even know this story. We were working yesterday and my phone rang and it was Brian. And I stepped outside. So, what are you doing? I said, I'm working. He goes, you got a minute to talk a second? I said, yeah. And before I could say anything else, he goes, is the foreman pushing you too hard? I said, oh, I'm the supervisor. I tell the foreman what to do. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you worship, when you know who God is and it's in spirit, it doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter what your position, what your title is. It doesn't matter how much your feet hurt how much your back hurts it doesn't matter what's going on it doesn't matter if you're sitting in church trying to praise God and your ex-husband walks in the building or your ex-wife walks in the building it don't matter or, or, or if you're sitting here and you're worshiping God and that person who's lied about you walks in, you can still worship because it's not about your emotions, it's not about your feelings, it's not about your body, it's about your spirit. And my spirit bears witness with his spirit. But it's not just worship in the spirit. It's in spirit and in truth. You begin to understand that everything in worship is true. Mm. we can give worth to people but it's not always true does this coat make me look fat oh no you look good pastor that may not be in truth notice how well I pulled that to me and not somebody else all of a sudden we begin to understand that we've got to worship God out of our spirit and out of the truth of who he is. If we knew who God was, we worship him because of who he is, not because of what he's done. 
You know how often we struggle with that? I just don't feel like worship and everything's falling apart. Then get in spirit and in truth. Quit worrying about who you are, what you've done, and what's happened to you, and understand that God is God and he always will be God. Understand that he is our light. He is our hope. And when, if we truly know who he is, it doesn't matter anything else. We will worship in spirit and in truth. If you knew, your worship would expose Christ. This woman, she's been through the whole thing here now. Give me a drink. Oh, why are you talking to me? Oh, if you knew who I was, you'd, you, you would have asked me to give you. Well, how can you give to me? You don't even have a bucket. Oh, but I've got something. Go get your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. Oh, you're right there. You've had four. And the one you're living with isn't your husband. Oh, I almost had it if you, if you, learned, you, know, if you knew your worship would expose your weakness. But I left that one out. Oh, she was lying. Then she says, oh, our fathers say to worship here. Jews say to worship in Jerusalem. What do you say? He says, oh, we got to worship in spirit and truth. Doesn't matter if it's here in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter. God's a spirit. But then she says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you, he. If you knew who he was, your worship would expose Christ. See, when we begin to understand that God is real and he is worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our worship, he is worthy of us to reach out to and call to in spirit and in truth. No matter what we feel, it doesn't matter what the music is. It doesn't matter. I, I still say one of these days we're going to have a whole service and we're not going to have any music. We're going to find other ways to worship God. Because I'm telling you, we, we depend on it too much. I love music. But that's not what worship is. But I can tell you what would happen if I said, we're going to worship God without music. Lift up your hands in here. When we worship in spirit and truth, we begin to understand. But listen to this. When we begin to know who he is, and we begin to say, oh, I know the Messiah's coming. You know what she was doing? She was worshiping. Oh, I know there's one out there that's going to have power. I know there's going to be a time when victory is going to come. He's going to tell us everything we need to know and her worship about something she didn't yet know, her understanding that there was a promise that she couldn't see yet exposed the presence of Christ with her. I who speak to you am he. It's me. I'm here. You want to see God in the church? Start letting your worship expose him. You want to see God do something in your family? Start worshiping him in your family, and God will be exposed in your family. 
You want God to do something in your home, make an altar in your home. Not that you go to and ask God to do things for you, but that you go to and give God glory and honor and tell him how much he's worth to you and see if God isn't exposed in your home. You want God to do something in your physical body, start worshiping him with with your physical body and see if God, the Christ, the healer, isn't exposed in your body. I'm coming by to tell you, it's time we quit sitting around trying to go, I wish somebody had told me Jesus. I'm tired of feeling like it's my job to expose Christ to a bunch of people who won't worship. If we want to see Christ, all we got to do is worship him. Because when we worship him, our worship exposes his presence. It may come in places you don't expect. It may come in ways that you can't fathom. It may come in, 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 in attitudes. and th- It won't look like what it looked like 10 years ago. It won't look like what it looked like last week. But I'm telling you something. If we will worship him, he will be exposed in our life. And all of a sudden we'll go, whoa, Jesus is here. That's what happened to this woman. I believe that instantly... She looked up and went, you're the Messiah. All of a sudden, her past didn't matter. All of a sudden, her sin wasn't important. She was at the well. So at a time when nobody else was there, so she wouldn't have to put up with other people. But the Bible says she left her water pot. Oh, I got a whole sermon. I'll preach another time. I may have already preached it here. When you find God, you'll leave your pot. Tell you something. We carry, we carry, we carry the things that we think are giving us life. That water pot was there to give her life. She was collecting water, the the source of energy, the source of power. But she left it behind because she said, I don't need it. I don't need, I don't need that water anymore because now I've got eternal water. I don't need what I came looking for because I come and found who I was looking for. Bible says that she left her pot and she went into the city. And she went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Tell you something. If you knew, your worship would evangelize. If you knew who you were with, if you knew the value, the power, and the strength of God, your worship would evangelize people. Now, I want you to look at what this woman did. I just talked about she left her water pot. She didn't need water anymore she didn't need that filling in her life anymore but what'd she do she went into the city and told the men see i think we read over that sometimes and we forget what's going on here she's at the well when nobody's around so she don't have to put up with the women she's there because she's afraid of the women she is sure afraid of the men. 
understand. She's an adulteress. And though it's a mixed society, it's still a half-Jewish society. She's had four husbands. She's living with a man that's not her husband. According to the law, she is worthy of death. She is supposed to be stoned. But now, when she come in hiding, when she met Christ, when she met the Messiah, when she understand his worth, when she began to worship him, her worship drove her to a place where she didn't just go to the women, but she went to the men where she's not supposed to be. And she says, oh, you've got to come see a man. Think about this. Get the picture of who we're talking about. This is that woman in the community. Oh, her. It's that woman in the community that all the wives are saying, don't you let me see you talking to her. It's that woman that when she comes up, the men are like, oh, I'm not going to be around her. It's that woman's got that reputation. If men go to talk to her, they know they're taking their reputation in their hands. And then she's running up and say, come see a man. Well, of course, you always talk about come see a man. Every time I turn around, you got another man you want to show us. But she says, oh, no, let me tell you about the worth of this man. Come see a man who told me all things, whichever I did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? I met him. And when she began to worship, show Christ's worth in her life. You know what the Bible says? The men followed. The disciples had come back. They had brought food. As they come back, she was still talking to Jesus, and they're like, why is he talking to her? And they're all worried about the food. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not hungry. I got food and drink you don't know about. Look up, behold, because here comes the harvest. And as they looked up, the Bible says that a multitude were coming out. And many of the Samaritans believed that day. Why? Because one little woman figured out what Christ was worth. I want everybody in this building to look around you. Every row in this church has at least one empty seat. There's actually only one row that only has one empty seat. Thank you, Ryan family. (laughs) Sherry joined in there. Some of them have a lot of empty seats. You know why? Because when we walk out of this building, we we don't go to the city with a worth of worship. When we begin to see what Christ is worth, we start saying, oh, you got to come see. you got to come see Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if we would get the true heart of worship, worship that would evangelize, it wouldn't just fill our building up. It'd fill up Turning Point. 
and Life Point and Calvary Baptist and First Baptist, Highview Baptist. It'd fill up every church in this area. Why? Because when we start telling people what Christ is worth in our life, what he's done for us, we start worshiping God in the streets. Again, I'm not talking about, oh. I'm talking about telling people what he's worth. Telling people what he's worth. Oh, my Jesus is worth everything I've got. Oh, I can tell you what he's done for me. He took a lying, cheating teenage boy and made him a preacher of the gospel. He took somebody who was going to waste his life doing nothing, and he gave him a purpose and a call. But that's not why he's worth anything. I'll tell you why he's worth something. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And nothing was made that was made without the Word. I tell, you, I tell you why he's worth something. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, in the beginning, the earth was without form and void. And God spoke and there was light. That's, that's why he's worth something. He made it. I tell you why he's worth something. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can tell you why he's worth something. Because he got up on a cross and he gave up his life as a sacrifice for my sin. Oh, and that was great. But what made it powerful is three days later he bounced a stone away and he stepped up alive out of the depths of the tomb and he walked into glory having the keys of death, hell, and the grave I can tell you what he's worth. He's worth everything I got, not because of what he gave to me, but because of who he is. When we start weaponizing our worship, the devil, the devil doesn't want to hear what God's worth. He already knows. The devil knows what he's worth. The devil doesn't want to hear that. And every time we start worshiping, we start talking about the worthiness of God. We start talking about what he is worth in our life. All of a sudden, the devil begins to tremble. Oh, if they start worshiping, multitudes will follow the faith. What's he worth? Have you got to a place that you're ready to worship him. Talk about his worthiness. You know what he's worth? He's worth trusting with everything you've got. He's worth trusting with everything you got. You got a need? God's worth trusting that need to. There are things in my life that I go through that nobody but my wife knows I'm going through. You know why? Because she's worth everything. That's why there are days that I'll get up in the morning on a Sunday morning and my wife will know I'm like, Ugh. but when I walk into this building, greetings and salutations, hellos, howdy's, how's it all? Good jazz. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is it coming, came. Pastor, you saying you're being fake? No, I'm saying, and, and, and take this with the understanding and love, I mean it. You're not worth the full picture to me, but my wife is. 
my wife is worth being transparent with. You get more picture than the community does because you're worth that to me. Don't you hear me? Our problem is we treat God like he's an outsider. He's not worth our struggles. Truth is, we think we're not worth his power. But if we will worship him, we will understand that we were worth enough to God that he gave his son for us. That by his stripes, we are healed. He gave, I was worth so much to Jesus, he died for me. I was worth so much to the Father that he set in in. in in, in, in progress a plan that would take his own son as a sacrifice for my sin when we begin to realize don't take this wrong don't take this out of context when we begin to realize that God has showed us our worth to him do you realize that means that God has worshipped us I, I don't mean that he set us up but I mean, he showed us what we're worth. Yeah. We're worth his blood. Yeah. If God can show us that he thinks we're worth that much, can't we say, God, you're worth me being opened with? You're worth a worship that is eternal. It doesn't matter if I'm up or down. You're worth a worship that is in spirit and truth. You're worth a worship that exposes your presence and your worth, a worship that evangelizes this world. I will give it to you because you're worth it. It stretches me, it makes me, it scares me, but I worship you that much because you're worth that much. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Tommy, I'm carrying a need. Maybe it's a physical need, maybe it's a financial need, an emotional need, a spiritual need, a relational need. And I've been carrying it on my own. Let me ask you, come see a man who told me all things that I've ever done who's provided for me in ways that I can't even express to you, who has done far more, not just for me, but for humanity than anybody I know. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Christ? And he cares about your need. He cares about your situation. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Tommy, I don't even know this man you're talking about. I need to accept him into my heart. I I need to give myself to him. If that's you, God wants to come in. God God wants to save your life. If you've got another need, God wants to meet it. Here's what I want to do. Before we have our closing prayer up here, I want to ask everybody to bow your head. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Tommy, I need salvation. I need to give myself to God. I need God to save my soul. I want you to just lift up your hand. Just me, you, and God right now. This is your opportunity. 
Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? I want everybody in this church to pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I admit that I've sinned. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. But today I believe you died for my sin. You were buried with my sin. But three days later, you arose, defeating my sin. Lord, today I commit to give my life to you 100% because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or first time in a long time, the heavens are rejoicing because you've come home. Amen. Now, if you've got a need as we close this service, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, relational, God cares about that need. Will you understand that he loves you enough to make him worth sharing that need with him? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to purposely not ask the musicians to come because we're not going to lean on music. We're going to lean on worship, the worship of God. If you've got a need, will you come and stand across the front of this church? Let me anoint you with oil. Let me pray for you, and I believe that God is going to heal. Will you come right now? Right now, come on up, and let's begin to pray.